the reason that I call fundraising a noble uh, calling is because this is really important because giving, being unselfish, sharing with other people is fundamental to well-functioning human relationships, hmm. whether it be between spouses, friends, co-workers, and co-citizens, right? So facilitating, giving, mutually beneficial relationships is ennobling, hmm. right? It's sort of like, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Well, who wouldn't want to be a peacemaker? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Group Thinkers. I am your host, Justin McCord, and this is a big one. Uh, here we are. It's November 26, 2019, and this mini this tiny little episode, the small mini that that we're launching today, actually launches the third season for us. Season three of Group Thinkers is here. A third season, a whole new list of change makers and innovators to help you dig into the current state of nonprofit marketing. So welcome. Thanks for checking out this uh, this episode in particular. Group Thinkers is a podcast created by RKD Group, which is a data-driven marketing and fundraising company. And on each and every episode of Group Thinkers, we chat with innovators in the nonprofit marketing space. So people who are, who are doing things differently, who are tackling today's marketing challenges with a unique perspective. Um, you know, in 2011, I was in the process of uh, going through a transitional chapter of my career. I was working in professional sports. I've talked about it on many episodes before of, of my background, particularly in soccer. So I was working in professional sports in a digital marketing capacity and, and thinking about what's next for me. Uh, you know, I connected with this firm on LinkedIn, as a matter of fact, uh, connected with this firm based in Dallas that worked exclusively with nonprofits. And this organization at the time was in the midst of massive digital growth and, and I was intrigued by it. So a series of calls led to a series of conversations. And then in November of 2011, eight years ago, uh, a little bit more than eight years ago from when this episode is dropping, I sat down with two people from this organization. One of them was Amanda Wasson uh, and the second was Tim Kirsten. And Tim is our guest today to help launch the third season of Group Thinkers. Tim Kirsten has four decades experience in direct response fundraising. He came up on the creative side and, and serves as the CEO of RKD Group today. Uh, Tim's a recipient of four Direct Marketing Association Echo Awards, as well as a prestigious International Capels Award. And, and I got to tell you, I've had the honor to work alongside Tim since early 2012. Uh, and, and not a single day has been boring in that time. Uh, so in launching season three of Group Thinkers, I wanted to get a few minutes with Tim to talk about what's now, but more so to talk about what's next. It's the state of the industry, uh, what we can do, how we should be being prepared for what's coming, and uh, to gather his thoughts in those arenas. So without further ado, and to launch season three of Group Thinkers, here's a chat with Tim Kirsten. Uh, so Tim, happy, uh, happy National Philanthropy Day. So we're recording yep. this on November 15th. 
which happens to be National Philanthropy Day. And I want to start our conversation and ask you how you're celebrating. Well, Justin, I'm embarrassed to say I did not know until you told me a little while ago that it was National Philanthropy Day. Okay. And I've been in the business for uh, of philanthropy, charitable giving for more than 40 years. And I guess I've missed National Philanthropy Day every day for the last 40 years, unless it's a recent development and someone got it on the national calendar and I missed it, which I clearly did. I don't know who the people are in charge of these national calendars, but as you know, and we, we have uh, a regular meeting in our offices and where we talk about upcoming holidays and well more than half of them sound like they were just created in a back office someplace that I don't know who owns the national calendar, but it is, it's national philanthropy day. And I find that to be compelling and what a good day for us to talk. It's perfect. Yeah. It's really good. So, so how, how am I celebrating national philanthropy day? So actually this sort of transcends this day, but it's something that my wife and I are doing at this time of year. In fact, we're going to be, we've agreed to have a meeting tomorrow. Uh, on this uh, to discuss just sort of family issues, one of which is um, we're evaluating how much more money my wife and I uh, will contribute between now and the end of the mm, year to charity. Okay. Have we given enough? Can we give more to the causes that are mo- most important to us? And, and just stepping back, you know, uh, a lot of charitable giving, as we know, uh, as working in the direct response sort of mass marketing field is um uh it, it's it's emotionally uh, driven sure uh, and some of it can be impulsive and that's all fine and good because we're emotional creatures and and that's that's a natural thing i think it does help to take a step back and really prioritize our giving and think about the causes that are most important to us and actually be give as strategically and thoughtfully as we can and so that's um, if if I'm celebrating National Philanthropy Day today, it's it's uh, it's in that direction of uh, thinking about our giving between now and the end of the year. Have we done enough? Should we do more? Yeah, we do need to do more. I love that. I love the I love the reflective nature. And, and you know, you and I have we spent a lot of time talking about um, being reflective as it relates to the organizations that we're honored to work with as Arcadia Group. Uh, and being intentional with where we're putting our time and our effort. And so uh, I applaud you that you're, you're going to be spending this time over the weekend being reflective and thinking about that. I also have some ideas that maybe I'll, I'll send uh, home with you that you, in terms of causes and, and things, you know, why Is not? This your son's little league? <laughs> well, actually, we're looking for a sponsor for a soccer club. So, uh, you know, no, but I, I love that. I love that that's the way that... Uh, that you're celebrating, and like I said, the intentionality behind it—that's um, it's it's noble, right? It's noble, yes. and uh, and and that's great because um, nobility is something that I wanted to actually talk yep. to you about uh, because it's a, a a concept that I've heard you reference many times with respect to fundraising. And that you will refer to or say that fundraising is a noble endeavor. It's a noble act. It's something that we as Arcadians, but it's also something that we that work in the nonprofit space should take great pride in. Expand on that just a little bit. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. That's a provocative question, and I think it's really important. Um, you know, I think there's some professions out there that some folks might be embarrassed to be a part of in, you know, like legitimate professions. And I'm not going to mention any of them because I don't want you to get what we call hate and discontent mail. Sure. If I mention a profession. Exactly. I don't that need might, that in might, my feed. No, you don't, you don't need that in your feed. But um, I'm talking about legitimate legal businesses where somebody might feel a little chagrin that they do that okay. for a living. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's understandable. I think it may go to human pride, and maybe we all want to be a little better than we actually are. I think we, most, most people do. The reason that I call fundraising a noble uh, calling is because, this is really important, because giving, being unselfish, sharing with other people, is fundamental to well-functioning human relationships, hmm. whether it be between spouses, friends, co-workers, and co-citizens, right? So facilitating, giving, mutually beneficial relationships is ennobling, hmm. right? It's sort of like, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Well, who wouldn't want to be a peacemaker? I, you know, people have actually, I, I was asked a question once, gosh, if you couldn't do what you've done with your career, what would you have wanted to do? Mm -hmm. And one of my answers was, I'm really intrigued with the idea of being a diplomat hmm. and brokering peace in between warring parties um, and, and, uh, and doing working on something for years hmm. to try to bring peace and bring people together. Uh, you talk about an ennobling endeavor, right. a very difficult, often thankless task. I, I, see, I see the profession of fundraising is very ennobling because uh, we are enabling people, we're facilitating really positive, healthy relationships. Because think of the, op what's the opposite of giving? It's keeping. Right. Uh, if giving is unselfish, not giving, like sort of universally, I'm not giving anybody, that, that's, that's selfish. Hmm. That doesn't help anybody. So, when we help to make the world more humane, just, and compassionate hmm. by connecting people, uh, donors with nonprofit organizations, we're making the world a better place, not just via the causes, but we're helping people to, as Abraham Lincoln said, to um, call forth the better angels of our nature. Hmm. In, in Abraham Lincoln's first inaugural, inaugural address, and he was really speaking to the South, and he's, he's making a plea to them. He says, we're not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. The passion may have strained it, must not break our bonds of affection. And then, and then he goes, goes on and he said, um, you know, let us be touched again, as surely they will be, our hearts, by the better angels of our nature. So in, in the business of fundraising, we are really encouraging people to allow their hearts to be touched by the, by the better angels of our nature. If that's not ennobling, I don't know what is. And it's a, it's a really, it's a privilege to be in this business. Yeah. It's also a funny time to be in this business, right? I mean, well, just the, the changing landscape of what it means to be a, a fundraiser, what it means to be a marketer in you know, 2019, 2020. And I think it's important for 
for our listener base to reflect on and think about exactly what you just said about the noble aspect of what we do. Yeah. Um, it's a hard time of year at times in terms of the the amount of, of marketing activity, et cetera, that's taking place. And so being able to pause and reflect on exactly what you just shared, I think is a, it's a, a important aspect of, of this time of year as we gear up and think about what's next. Absolutely. And, and it's a really important time to think about that dimension, that really fundamentally fundamental truth about uh, fundraising as it relates to some of the trends mm-hmm. in, in fundraising, which right. are very concerning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. So you know, this this episode, uh, this mini episode of Group Thinkers is launching our third season, mm-hmm. uh, and so we're super excited to be now in our third season and have had a chance to to sit down with some uh, really remarkable people in the nonprofit marketing space or connected to the nonprofit marketing space. And, and you know, as uh, an avid listener of the podcast, that you know our goal is to talk about current challenges with people who are thinking differently or approaching them differently, that are taking a unique approach to solving what is the current status quo and who have a view on what's next, on what's coming, so that we can be prepared and be working through some of these things together. So, uh, Tim, I, I hold you in that high regard as well as someone who is an innovator in the nonprofit marketing space. What do you see as some of the most pressing challenges for nonprofits at the close of 2019? I, th- I think, um, one, that's a great question. Uh, and, and I appreciate you, you you reflecting on it and asking my opinion. Uh, I have to say that it's data privacy and data governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is a um, it's a wave that's coming our direction from Europe, mm-hmm. where the GDRP uh, or PR, excuse me, GDPR, uh, you know, came into effect uh, recent, relatively recently, mm-hmm. and now. Um, States, uh, they they want to adopt similar uh, practices around uh, data privacy. Um, you know, it, it's concerning to me because it. I, I like to ask um, when when some idea is put out out there that the idea is okay. We need to restrict nonprofit and commercial entities' ability to use. To use data, what's the assumption under that? What 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 is the underlying assumption that propels that impetus? Well, the underlying assumption is that there's something bad about commercial entities or nonprofits having, in some cases, any data ab- about donors or prospective donors, or limiting the the amount of data or how it's used. Almost an assumed assumed guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 an, an not only an assumed guilt or potentially assumed guilt, but an assumed um, that nonprofits or commercial entities are acting in bad faith. Mm-hmm. That they want to use that data for a nefarious purpose. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is properly understood and utilized. Uh, Data should be used to deliver more relevant messages in the most efficient means possible. And I don't understand 
why regulators and advocates for greater data privacy want to actually make it more difficult, more costly, and less efficient to reach people with messages that they may find useful or relevant. I personally appreciate the fact that certain marketers, let, let's just go over on the commercial sector, mm -hmm. know my buying habits and because they serve stuff up and I go, oh yeah, I need to buy more of those or whatever. Right. Uh, we are always in, if you understand consumer behavior, if you've studied consumer behavior, which is one of my favorite courses in college many, many decades ago, is that um, we're always engaged in some sort of external survey of the landscape about products and services that we may need or be of interest to us. And so the more information that we have and is, that's available to us, the more informed we are about the kinds of service. And we all need to buy products and services, whether we got to need to get a new car or clothing mm -hmm. or whatever. Why not have more data and more information that enables us to be uh, more informed and make better, wiser choices? The, all, the whole drive to restrict data and the use of data inhibits choice. It hurts efficiency. And so it's, it's, I think it's just an assumption of bad faith. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, well, those people are bad because they have data and they're using it. I, I, I think that um, one, one of the things that is just uh, perverse, I'll use the word perverse to me, is in, in Europe, the GDPR, uh, the General Data Protection right. Regulations, yes. uh, contain a right to be forgotten. Think about that for a moment. It's a right for individuals to have their personal data completely erased. And for me, Tim Kirsten, or you, Justin McCord, to be forgotten. Hmm. Okay? And not, entities have one month to respond to a request. Hmm. So um, think about this. Only a government bureaucrat would conclude that people want to be forgotten. Don't most of us actually want to be remembered? Yeah, to be known. For some, to be yeah. known and be remembered by someone. Right. Even if it's a charity who might want to invite me to support a worthy cause. I mean, if everybody wanted to be forgotten and got their wish, we'd be a society of selfish curmudgeons. <laughs> I personally, I want to be remembered. Mm -hmm. I want to be remembered by my friends. Mm -hmm. And I want to be remembered by those entities that I do business with. Frankly, it's nice to walk into a store or, you know, I travel a lot. There's a particular hotel I go to and I, and I walk in and go, Tim, it's been a long time since we've seen you. That's not offensive to me. Right. That's welcoming. Yeah. And I think that that same ethos can apply and should apply. In, in relationships between nonprofits and their donors. Mm -hmm. in, in the right to be forgotten, I think that it's, there's a, just an underlying perverse assumption in that whole regulatory scheme, which sadly is, is making its way into the United States. Yeah. And I, th I think it's tragic because it, 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 it will hurt our society. Yeah, it's a, it's a major challenge, yeah. right? And, and I, I do appreciate the way that you put it as a wave. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that building. And if, if you've been paying attention, you can almost see the from the horizon, see it coming in. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and run, so run, for the, run for the hills because yeah. you're going to get drowned. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's important that we, that we stay uh, connected to that, stay connected to that through 
the work of the TMPA and, and others who are on the front lines of just really trying to understand it and advocate so, on behalf of the nonprofit space yep. for uh, the right um, structure mm-hmm. around yeah. data regulations. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And, and it's concerning because there is also, in certain states that have a, a referendum, and I'll just call it California, there, there's a it's a pretty profoundly anti-democratic um, uh, move on the part of some very, uh, a particular very wealthy uh, person who's some for some reason annoyed that somebody has his name on a database someplace, and he's pushing through a referenda mm-hmm. that can't, under California law, be reversed. Mm-hmm. And he said in the Los Angeles Times uh, not long ago, saying, "Well, this is too important to be left to the the the, the legislature." It just we just have to get it passed through a referenda and etched in stone that can never be erased, and that that's just a uh, that's a profoundly undemocratic thing. Sure. Even though it's using a referenda, which is a, a, a democratic tool, right? Uh, um, a tool of pure democracy, right? Let's put it that way. So yeah. I, I don't want to go too far down that that rabbit trail into political philosophy, but it's it's not a good trend. And uh, I, I don't know why anybody wants to make it more expensive and difficult for really worthy causes who were working for the social good, make it more difficult and more expensive for them to do their job. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, that, that's perverse. And, yeah. and, and we have to, as an industry, fight against it. As you said, uh, RKD Group is actively involved in a number of, of uh, associations that, that are working to, to try to stop the tidal wave. Exactly. And, uh, or, or if we can't stop it, at least mitigate the damage yeah, to the prepare, greatest extent. Right? Prepare and, and know how to respond yes. uh, because it is, it's threatening. Yeah. yeah. I, I think another thing that, that concerns me, and this isn't necessarily a sort of as we approach the end of 2019 thing, it's been a theme, as you know, in our, in our many conversations, is uh, I, I, I continue to be concerned about the shrinking pool of available donors. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the recent study that came out of the Lilly um, uh, Center uh, says there are 20 million fewer donating households in America today than there were prior to the 2008 recession. Right. That's really big. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a hole in the side of the boat of philanthropy, as it were. And, and that concerns me. Why is that? I think it's more than purely economics. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hypothesis is that because of the 2008 recession, the retrenchment, how it hit people's um, pocketbooks and so forth, that their, their available dollars to give shrunk and then they, it never bounced back. It hasn't recovered yet. It hasn't recovered. And I, I don't think that is purely an economic uh, issue for families. I think it is a... A perspective of life, mm. sort of a worldview, sort of issue about what are our obligations to uh, civil society. Mm-hmm. I mean, philanthropy in America uh, is unique among all all nations in the world That's in terms of the generosity of of our citizens, and and philanthropy is woven into the fabric of our country from the very beginning, and and uh, I think that we are at risk of losing that ethos in, in our culture for a variety of reasons uh, that that has long-term uh, impact on, um, call it uh, civil society. You know, it's civil society being that important space in between the individual 
and the government. Mm -hmm. You know, where uh, you know de Tocqueville talked about private associations in. Uh, it's one of the unique things about America is, is people come together and form these associations to for the common good. Right. And those associations need public support, support of individuals. And so to the extent that the number of people who are willing to form associations and then support them uh, is troubling to me. And, and it should trouble anybody involved in philanthropy. So the question is, well, how do we promote the common good? Mm -hmm. How do we promote a spirit of philanthropy? And it starts in the homes, and it starts with parents uh, inculcating those the beliefs of, of generosity and selflessness, of giving to other of people. Of giving, of benevolence. Uh, yeah, of to go back to sharing. our original uh, thing that we d discussed. And so that's, that's troubling. I, I think a third thing, Justin, is my ongoing concern about the state of uh, professional knowledge within within fundraising um, that there are a lot of people move into this space because they're they feel called to it they're mm -hmm. driven by a cause which is wonderful and it is noble it is a good thing I'm not being critical of that at all um, and this is this is a conversation that we have at, at, at various levels of, of the associations we're part of is how do we um, uh, educate uh, young people entering the world of philanthropy so that they they uh, do the right things and they don't repeat the same mistakes that other people that there there's a body of knowledge that is accessible to anybody who wants to find it and access it and uh, I think we need to do a better job as an industry in in helping people to to really get educated Hmm. And there are a variety of initiatives in our industry which are are underway and are important. It is a topic of conversation. Um, yeah, I think more needs to be done. The uh, one of the words that we used earlier was intentionality, and so you know it's not that those resources aren't available, but there's a difference in something being available in a library on a bookshelf and someone taking the time and the effort to take that specific resource off the shelf and hand it over to you and say, Tim, I want you to read this or know this because of this. And I think that that's maybe a part of where we need to focus and be more driven in that um, passing of the torch mm -hmm. or adding you know, more kindling to the fire of what makes this industry so great as the next generation comes up, that, as you said, passing on of the learnings, passing on of the failures, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being intentional about how we're doing it and how we're shaping and informing that next generation, I think is crucial. Well, there are best practices in our business, mm -hmm. just as there are best practices in electrical engineering, civil engineering, medicine, accounting, you name it. It, it. Every profession has known, identifiable best practices. We have them in our business. And not, frankly, not enough young people coming into the business uh, get up to speed quickly on those best practices. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I see, from my vantage point, too many nonprofit organizations making the same mistakes over and over again. Mm -hmm. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There right. are ways to engineer of fundraising approaches that are are proven to work right they have to be tailored to every specific cause but that that that's a concern for me yeah 
uh, those are all heavy. <laughs> There's, which is, I guess, good. I mean, you don't, wouldn't want a light concern, but but they're heavy. But I, I do think that one of the things that's uh, that's impactful about this podcast and this program in particular is that those are the things that we wrestle with, mm-hmm. right, on each and every episode. So over the course of seasons past, we've had folks talking about uh, data, and we're going to continue that conversation, uh, talking about the next generation conversations with uh, Dr. Una Osley from the Lilly School of Philanthropy. Uh, talking about what that next generation and training them up. Um, conversations about leadership. And these are uh, these are heavy items, but they're items that we want to continue to wrestle with. And we'll do so as a part of the show uh, in the third season and beyond so that uh, we can continue to raise the importance of these things, right? And continue to sharpen each other because that's something that's so... Um, um, interesting about the nonprofit marketing space versus the commercial side yeah. is the collegial aspect of how we sharpen one another. Yep. Yep. As uh, Abraham Lincoln said, again, we are not enemies. <laughs> right. But we're in this together. Let's unite um, and let the uh, better angels of our nature out to do more good in the world. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Tim, thanks for the time this afternoon. And uh, thanks for helping me launch the third season. You're welcome. I appreciate what you're doing and uh, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Since that first conversation in 2011, I've been constantly challenged by Tim. And, uh, you know, I love the the spirit of the chat that you heard. You know, how it's, it's one like... Uh, like I feel like he and I have often just about the the state of the industry, what's happening. And, you know, it's it's folks like he and Amanda Wassa and Max Bunch and others that have poured into me to help me learn about the nonprofit marketing industry over these years and have given us an avenue to have this podcast bring other perspectives into the conversation. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I think that there's there's the spirit of that chat that's talking deeply about what's happening and and how we can do something about it and, and as I reflect on the coming weeks and uh, the episodes of season three that you're going to hear to me that's the through line that's the through line that uh, I think you'll take away from all of season three of group thinkers what's happening and how we can do something about it so the season is special for us uh, we've got some changes that that we've made in terms of um, our format is going to be slightly different. We've got new guests, as I mentioned, and you'll hear about each of those innovators uh, week after week after week because of one of the major changes that we're making. So uh, we will be dropping new episodes every Tuesday, starting with this episode on November 26th. Uh, new episodes every Tuesday for the next few months. And uh, so for, you can look forward to Tuesdays being the day where you'll get something new in your feed, uh, a new episode to be able to tune into and to, to process, to digest, to hope challenge you and uh, draw your attention to folks that are doing things uh, in a new or innovating way. So uh, along the way, we're also going to continue having conversations with the social space. You can connect with us on both 
Twitter and Instagram at group thinkers is our handle. And so we'd love to have you throw us a follow, ask us a question, make a comment, whatever it is. Uh, but be sure to do it in one of those two places, Instagram and Twitter at group thinkers. So um, that's it for the mini episode and the launch of season three, which I had something to, to pop, um, but I'm recording this early in the morning and not sure that Tim or others would appreciate me popping open any bottles at this point, but that said, um, it's really great to be back with you and, and super excited for the third season. So be sure to tune in next week. Check out uh, what drops in your feed as we chat with a different innovator, uh, someone who's making a difference in the nonprofit marketing industry. Uh, that episode will launch on Giving Tuesday. And we have a very a special Giving Tuesday themed episode coming your way. So until then, uh, enjoy your week and we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, what's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.